Well, this is kind of like uh, home to us uh, for Mary and I. Uh, some of you already know us. Some of you are just meeting me and Mary for the first time. Uh, this is uh, uh, Bethel's special place for us. Uh, this is where we got filled with the Holy Spirit right here in this sanctuary uh, where God began his call on my life under the ministry of Pastor uh, Sheraton. Uh, went off to Bible college, uh, preparing for ministry, came back and was involved in ministry, actually was on staff here at, at Bethel. I always like to point to that little room there. That was my office. I'm told don't look in there. <laughs> it's probably full of uh, a lot of uh, stuff which churches gather up. And so, yes, it's a special place. Been in the ministry now for over 40 years. Uh, semi-retired, as I was sharing with uh, Aaron, that uh, you never really retire when you're in ministry. You never do. And as Christians, you really never uh, retire of uh, being a light to this world. So, yeah, so uh, it's given us the opportunity to, to uh, speak at other churches. We were on staff at Walnut Grove Assembly of God there for 26 years, which is in the uh, West Mifflin area, Pittsburgh. Uh, not only is Bethel sort of a homey place for us because of its influence in our Christian past, but it's home in our neighborhood, too. We grew up here. I grew up, my wife grew up uh, up on Dunlap Street, up uh, on Perrysville Avenue. I grew up on Federal Street Extension on the north side, and we still live here in Brighton Heights. Uh, I could probably walk to this church I had a bicycle take me about two minutes to get here, so it's sort of nice. Uh, going to West Mifflin took about a half hour. It's nice to just kind of roll out of bed, right, and you can be at church. So, uh, but this has been an exciting year uh, for me and Mary. This is our first year, like called full retirement or semi-retirement, and and uh, God has done some special things uh, in my life and. And uh, one of the things started about uh, three years ago during COVID. Remember COVID? Remember that horrible time, 2020? Uh, lockdown, businesses closed, restaurants were closed, nowhere to go. Uh, we were working from home for the first time, and a lot of you still didn't go back to work. You're still working remotely. And, and so it was during that time that, uh, you know, we were doing church services remotely, and so I was at home all the time, and, and uh, I, I started to become interested in the Civil War, and in particular, uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln, because I had a lot more time on my hand being at home, and I became fascinated with that, the story of that, that time in our country's history back in the 1860s, and in particular, the, the leader who, who led during that horrible time where over 630,000 men died. Imagine that. 630,000 men died in four years. And on top of that, millions were wounded. We could use a man like Abraham Lincoln again. And it was during that time I started to write. I didn't know I was going to become a writer, but I began to write. And uh, that writing turned into a book. And I have it in the back for you who are interested in buying it. I called it Lincoln's Ghost. It's in the back. And the reason I called it Lincoln's Ghost because uh, his words still speak. His words still speak. And how many of you know the voice of God still speaks? And that's why I want to really want to talk to you this morning is about the voice of God. Because we need to hear the voice of God. That was a terrible time in our nation's history. Bloody. Divided. A divided country. Does it sound familiar? 
Does it sound familiar? A divided country. An angry country. That's what it was during Lincoln's time. That's what it is during our time. And so, let's pray. Take a moment and just ask the Lord. We, you don't need my voice, church. You don't need my voice. You need the voice of God. You don't need my words. You need the word of God. You don't need my energy and my passion. We need the passion and anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I ask that you would do that. That, Lord, you would just surround us with your presence. You say where two or more are gathered in your midst, you said you would be with us and you keep your promises. And so, Lord, be in our midst. Speak to us. Take this time. Lord, maybe one word, maybe a sentence, maybe a verse. And would you stir it in someone's heart that, God, it would be remembered and it would bear fruit. So, Lord, we just give you the remainder of this service, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. There's a verse of scripture that it has been over these past few years, it, I guess I can use the word haunting me, and I find it more relevant than I ever have before, and that, that's a verse of scripture found in Second Peter. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, I'll read it for you. But 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 says this. Lot. Lot. We know who Lot was, right? It said, Lot vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from the day to day with their unlawful, sinful deeds. Now, we know the story of Lot. He's in, he's in where? Sodom and Gomorrah, a wicked place. And there's an there's a old word there used, and I could have used the New American Standard or NIV, but I chose to read this in the King James because there's a word in the King James we don't use anymore. It's an old-fashioned word. It's called the word vexed. It said righteous lot sitting in the midst of Sodom and Gomorrah, seeing what was happening every day, hearing the language. Boy, our language changed, right? I don't even think there's any swear words anymore, right? There's not any swear words anymore. It's his common words. So here we have righteous Lot sitting in Sodom and Gomorrah, hearing filthy conversation, seeing the debauchery and the wickedness around him. And it said it's vexed his soul. Like I said, that's an old word. We don't use it anymore. Vexed. Let me give you the definition of it. It can mean troubled, upset, bothered. Troubled, upset, bothered. That's, the, that's the, the mild translation of the word vexed. You know, we can be around something that upsets us, right? It bothers us. It annoys us. Well, vexed can mean that. But there's a deeper, stronger meaning to the word vexed, and it's angered, enraged, fuming, furious. That's a better picture of Lot. He's sitting in the midst of a filthy land full of corrupt sexual debauchery. And not only bothered and upset him, it vexed him to the point that it angered him to see it. I'm finding that. I'm relating to that. At the direction of our country. 
at the direction of our culture, of the direction of some churches. It vexes me. And it vexes God. So what's vex me? Angered, furious, enraged. I have a question for us. You can answer in your own heart. You can say amen in your own heart. I have a question for our congregation, and not for just for you, but for me. All right? Here's the question. How many of you want to hear the voice of God? You want to hear the voice of God. And to know the will of God for your life. How many want to hear the voice of God and know His will? Well, I'm sure if you're sitting here this morning, that's a 100% yes. But I'm going to tell you something this morning, church. There's a big difference between hearing the voice of God and being the voice of God. And that's primarily what I'm going to talk about this morning, about being the voice of God. I said as I was reading during the COVID times and starting to put together this book about Abraham Lincoln, I started to see in that war and his words, I started to see, uh, you know, God was saying something through that war. God was saying something through that president. And so I made a devotion out of that. So that's what the book's about. It's actually a, a devotion that you'd read every day. And I kept thinking, boy, we need to hear the voice of God. And not only hear the voice of God, to be the voice of God. Because there are times Lincoln was the voice of reason, the voice of freedom, the voice of justice. And I said it earlier, boy, we sure could use a man like Lincoln in the White House today. Or in Congress, or in the Supreme Court, or in our local courts. Or in our classrooms, in our schools, we could sure use a voice like that. I have another question for us. How many of you know there's lots of different voices in the world? Not just the voice of the Word of God, not just the voice from the pulpit, but there's lots of voices out there. There's voices in the arena of government. They're shouting loudly. There's the voice of academia. I'm ashamed sometimes of things I see allowed in our schools, in our universities. I'm ashamed. But those voices in our colleges, in our universities, in our high schools, in our elementary schools, are speaking loud. There's voices. Government speaking loudly. Culture. It's the most embarrassing as a Christian to turn on a television. To even look at the internet and don't know what's going to pop up on that. It's embarrassing. It's enraging. It's angering. It's vexing. I just want to say this, lest I bomb everybody out. Fear not. Because there's a passage of Scripture, and I want to read with it, you. Psalms, I'd like you to go to Psalms, chapter 2. When I read Psalms, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, it reminds me of what's going on in our world right now. 
It says, why do the heathen rage? That's verse 1, chapter Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the heathen rage? Let me tell you, you don't rage silently. You don't rage silently. You rage loudly, vocally, powerfully. So the question there is, why are the heathen, the unbeliever, the unsaved, so angry? And the people imagine a vain thing. They're coming up with a lot of nonsense in this world. And then it says, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. Doesn't that sound like today? The leaders, the rulers, the kings, they take their stand. They take their counsel against God. And it specifically says his son is anointed. It's the news today, folks. This is the news today. We read it every day in the paper of some law that is contrary to the word of God. Some cultural shift that would embarrass your parents, your grandparents years ago. And now the world's taking it as normal. There is a diabolical, devilish, demonic agenda. That's what they say, that the kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers, counsel against who? Against who? Against God and his son. And why are they doing that? Kind of answer the question in verse 1, why do the heathen rage and why they imagine such a vain thing, and why are they fighting against God? It gives you the answer in verse 3. It says, let us break their bands asunder and cast their cords from us. This world does not want to obey God. This world wants to do its own thing. Law after law in our government that was based on the word of God is being torn down, being cast aside so men and women can say, I'm free to do whatever I want to do. Those verses read like today's paper and sadly tomorrow's paper. But I said, lest I leave you bummed out and discouraged, because that is not my intention. Verse 4 says something powerful in that psalm. It said, here the heathen are raging. They're wanting to break loose from the restraints of God. And it says that God sits and what's he do? He laughs. He laughs. Because he looks down at this feeble attempt that we are, over gonna, we are going to overthrow the hand of God in this world. It just ain't going to happen, folks. It says, it says, he laughs. So I take heart in that and say, God, you got it under control. Even though they're raging and complaining and changing things at the heart. Uh, the matter is the voice of God and the way of God and the power of God, and it will be victorious. And they are like fleas compared to a giant. And the Lord laughs at their foolishness. So lots of voices out there. <clears throat> lots of voices. And they're loud. And they're persistent. I read a story once about the story of Barabbas and Jesus. We know who Barabbas was. He was a criminal. He was captured and he was imprisoned at the same time as Jesus. Remember that story? And under Roman law, they allowed for a prisoner, one prisoner, to be set free and their sentence commuted to kind of appease the people. And so here you have Jesus, and here you have Barabbas, and you have Pilate, who's in control of things, and he says to the people, who do you want me to set free? 
I'll set free one of them. It can be Barabbas. It can be this Jesus. And we know the story, right? They cried out, give us Barabbas. And I read this book on that story once, and the disciples said, why would they set Barabbas free and not Jesus? And the word came back, because the people for Barabbas shouted louder. They shouted louder. The world has a voice. And it's loud. And it's persistent. Every day we're hit with it. In the news, in our schools, on television, on the internet, we're pounded with the loud voice of the world. Why aren't we shouting back? What's the church to do? If the world is shouting loud, then what should we be doing? We should be shouting back. It says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 27, it says this. Jesus says to the disciples, what I tell you in darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout it from the housetops. Jesus telling his disciples, what I've told you, what I've shown you, don't keep it quiet and don't whisper it. Shout it. Because the world needs to hear. You know, sometimes when you got someone who's really loud and obnoxious, you know what you have to do? You got to shout over them. You got to raise your voice to their level and above. I've been looking over these past years, 2020, 2021, 22, and now 23 is at the end. And we see the voice of the world is getting louder. And I say, well, what is my responsibility as a, as a Christian, as a Christian man? Not, not as a pastor, as a, as a Christian man. What is my responsibility? What are your responsibilities as a Christian woman out there to do? There's a passage in Daniel, chapter 11, verse 32. I'll read that one for you. It said, my people who know their God shall be strong and do exploits. The people who know their God will be strong and do exploits. Exploits are like mighty things, significant, powerful things. And I'm like, I read that verse over these past years, and I said, God, I want to be strong for you. I want to do exploits for you. I want to make a difference. I'm 71. I don't know how much time I have left. I want to make a difference. I want to do something powerful for God. I want to shout above the crowd. I want to say there's a different truth to the truths, really lies, that the world is saying. I want my grandchildren to know the Lord. I want my great-grandchildren to know the Lord. I want my children to know the Lord. I want to be a voice. I want to do exploits. It says the people who know their God will be strong and do exploits. So I have to be honest to myself and I have to ask you a question, church. What stops us? What's stopping us from shouting loudly? What's stopping you, me, 
from doing great exploits. If I am to shout truth from the housetops, and I am to be strong and do exploits for God, and I said earlier, I said, boy, our politics could sure use a man like Lincoln. Well, our world, our community, Northside, Pittsburgh, could sure use a godly man and woman who will speak truth, who will not compromise, who will be a light. Because the world needs us. Pittsburgh needs us. Northside needs us. But what's stopping us? What is stopping us from being the voice of God? Because remember, I said there's a big difference. Because when I ask you a question, how many of you want to know and hear the voice of God? We all say, yes! There's a difference between knowing the will of God, hearing the voice of God, and being the voice of God. So what's stopping us from being the voice of God? Let me give you some thoughts. Maybe we lack vision. Maybe we lack vision. I won't trouble you with reading the whole story, but I'll kind of paraphrase it for you. You have in Numbers... That Moses sends out how many spies? Come on, this is Sunday school stuff. He sends out 12. 12 spies. They're getting ready to cross the Jordan, go in the promised land. They've been trudging around in the wilderness for 40 years. It's time to go to the place that's been promised to them. So they send out 12 spies. And they spy around and they come back. And here's their report. Ten of them give them this report. There's, many, there's too many people there. They got mighty armies. Their men are big. They're like giants. Their cities are fortified and walled. As a matter of fact, when we looked at them, they made us feel like grasshoppers. I think that's an interesting part of that story. It didn't say that the giants said they were grasshoppers. They said, in our own eyes, we felt like grasshoppers. Maybe that's the problem with us, church. We see ourselves as grasshoppers. We're not grasshoppers. We're mighty men and women of God. We're children of the Most High. We're saved. We're redeemed. We have the Holy Spirit within us. We have the Word of God that proclaims, that can break strongholds. That's who we are. But maybe... Just maybe we don't see ourselves like that. Maybe we look at ourselves as we have nothing to say. How can we beat the fortified walls and the tower of lies that are in this world? We're just nothing but little people having a church service on Sunday. We lack vision. And when you see yourself as weak, you're going to act weak. When you see yourself as insignificant, that's how you're going to look in your own eyes. So we need some vision, folks. We need to see who we are in God. And here's another reason. Maybe we aren't being the voice of God. We should, maybe we don't ha have the passion. Maybe we're just not excited. There's an interesting story. It's in the book of 2 Kings. It's a prophet, Elisha, is about to die, and he goes to King Joash, and King Joash is kind of upset because Elisha is this powerful figure in Israel, and, you know, he, he, he does miraculous things, but Elisha is an old man now, and he's getting ready to die. And Joash comes at a to uh, the prophet, and he's just terrified. He said, what are we going to do without you? We're surrounded by enemies, and when we had you, we had something. Now you're going to be gone, and we're going to be helpless. And so he, he's feeling 
threatened and weak. And, and Elisha says to Joash, he said, I want you to take an arrow and put it in a bow. You can read it for yourself. It's in 2 Kings. I think it's uh, in chapter 13, 2 Kings chapter 13. It says, take this arrow, shoot it out the window. Shoots it out. He said, you're going to defeat your enemies. Just like this bow, just like that arrow shot. He said, you're going to take down your enemies. And then he says to him, he said, I want you to take a, a group of arrows and hold it in your hand. And he holds it in hand. He said, I want you to beat the ground with it. He beats the ground three times. And Elisha's mad. He said, you should have beat it five or six or seven times. Only three. Now you're only going to feature your enemy three times. And I always read that story, and that story was confusing to me because Elisha didn't tell him how many times to beat it. He just said, take these arrows, beat the ground with it. And that's exactly what the king did. Now the prophet's upset with him. Say, because you didn't beat it six or seven times, you're not going to have a complete victory over your enemy. And I was always looking at it and said, but you didn't tell him to beat it six or seven times. You just said hit the ground. But there's something we're missing in that story. We're missing a heart that lacked passion. I'm going to tell you, when you're angry, have you ever been angry and pounded something? Ever been that angry? No one has to tell you how many times to pound that desk or kick that wall or punch in that wall or stomp your feet or shout. No one has to tell you, give you direction, because it is welling up from inside you. Maybe, folks, the reason we're not the voice of God is we don't have any passion. We're just not excited. We're just, you know, remember I gave you that definition of vexed? Bothered annoyed, upset. There's not much passion to be annoyed, upset. But man, when you are enraged, furious, fuming, <laughs> something's welling up within you. Folks, maybe the reason the world is running over us. It's because we've lost our passion. We've lost it. Let me give you one more. Maybe we're just plain procrastinators. Putting things off, right? Isn't that procrastination? You say, I'm going to do this, and you never get around to it, okay? You for your own time, you can look. There's a, there's a passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 9 where this unknown disciple says, hey, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, okay, I just want you to know something. Uh, the foxes have their dens. The birds have their nests. But the Son of Man has no way to lay his head. So that means when we're going out, there's going to be no eating parks and no Hilton Hotels. You know what? You never hear from that disciple again. Then there's another disciple that comes up to him and says, I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus. And Jesus says to him, then come and be my disciple. And he said, but first I got some things to take care of. I got to go home. You know, make matter, you know, get, get things in arrangement. My father's not dead yet, so i got to hang around until he passes away. And, you know, it's just not the right time. And You know, we never hear from that disciple ever again. Because he said, i got some other things to do. I know this, I should be doing this, but i got some other things to do. What has got in our way from serving God? What has got in our way? There's a saying that says, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. 
That's a powerful verse. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Man, I wanted to do this. I said earlier, I'm 71. I got some things God wants me to do. I don't think I have 20 years to do it. My getting around to it times need to come to an end. Folks, am I just speaking to myself up here? The getting around to it stuff has to end. What causes our voice to be silent? Maybe we're just not convinced. I want to show you a clip here in a second, video clip. Like I said, during those COVID times, and it caused me to write a book. I read more about the Civil War. I read more about Abraham Lincoln. I read about the, the personalities and the people involved in that time period. And I came across this letter from a man named Sullivan Ballou. Solomon Ballou is a major in the Union Army. He's getting ready. It's a few days before a major battle, the second battle of Bull Run. <clears throat> He's getting ready to go to battle, so he writes a letter to his wife. And that letter has been recorded and saved. And there's some things in this letter I think can speak to us about needing to be a voice and maybe why we're not. So, Bonnie, could you show that? A week before the Battle of Bull Run, Sullivan Ballou, a major in the 2nd Rhode Island Volunteers, wrote home to his wife in Smithfield. July the 14th, 1861, Washington, D.C. Dear Sarah, the indications are very strong that we shall move in a few days, perhaps tomorrow. And lest I should not be able to write you again, I feel impelled to write a few lines that may fall under your eye when I am no more. I have no misgivings about or lack of confidence in the cause in which I am engaged, and my courage does not halt or falter. I know how American civilization now leans upon the triumph of the government and how great a debt we owe to those who went before us through the blood and suffering of the revolution. And I am willing, perfectly willing, to lay down all my joys in this life to help maintain this government and to pay that debt. Sarah, my love for you is deathless. It seems to bind me with mighty cables that nothing but omnipotence can break. And yet my love of country comes over me like a strong wind and bears me irresistibly with all those chains to the battlefield. The memory of all the blissful moments I've enjoyed with you come crowding over me, and I feel most deeply grateful to God and you that I've enjoyed them for so long. And how hard it is for me to give them up and burn to ashes the hopes of future years, when God willing we might still have lived and loved together and see our boys grown up to honorable manhood around us. If I do not return, my dear Sarah, never forget how much I loved you, nor that when my last breath escapes me on the battlefield, it will whisper your name. Forgive my many faults and the many pains I have caused you. How thoughtless, how foolish I have sometimes been. But, oh, Sarah, can come back to this earth, 
and flit unseen around those they love. I shall always be with you in the brightest day and the darkest night. Always. Always. And when the soft breeze fans your cheek, it shall be my breath or the cool air, your throbbing temple. It shall be my spirit passing by. Sarah, do not mourn me dead. Think I am gone and wait for me, or we shall meet again. Sullivan Ballou was killed a week later at the first battle of Bull Run. There were some things in that letter that I'll just point out, remind you of. Why would this man leave his lovely wife? He volunteered and his children to go fight in a war that he could get out of. He says that he was confident of the cause. He believed in the cause. Maybe that's part of what drove him to leave the comfort of home and his wife, and his young boys, because he believed in the cause. Maybe we don't speak loud enough because we are not convinced of the cause. <clears throat> he said he believed he needed to go because he believed what he was doing the country needed him. Maybe we don't speak loud because we believe this old country is just going to tick along. No, this old country is headed to hell. But I want to take some people to heaven. He said the reason he did it is he felt a great debt to those who have gone before him. I owe a debt. I owe a debt to Jesus Christ. I owe a debt to the prophets and apostles that went before me. I owe a debt. Pastors and the Sunday school teachers who spoke into my life. I owe a debt, and you owe a debt, to the men and women who loved the Lord, who spoke the voice of God to generations before. We owe a debt to them to not give up. And he said he was willing, perfectly willing, to lay down all this world's joy to pay that debt. That meant leaving his wife, possibly not seeing his children grow up. <laughs> he loved his wife, but he loved something greater. And he said it was like a great wind came upon him and pulled him to the battlefield. God, please give us that wind again. Please. That will pull us from our procrastination and our lack of vision And looking down on ourselves and missing who we are in Christ, Lord, let that wind of your Holy Spirit please pull us again. Because church, 
The world needs our voice. Pittsburgh needs our voice. Northside needs our voice. Your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren need us to shout. Can I have the worship team come? I didn't keep track, <coughs> Joe. That second song you sang, could we do that? <laughs> what we're going to do. Grateful. Grateful. This song is sang. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front, but I am going to ask you to stay seated. But if that wind of the Holy Spirit is tugging at you, then I'm going to ask you to come to the front. No guilt, no intimidation. Just let the wind of the Holy Spirit pulling you to the front, and then we'll pray together. Words, where it says, with our hands lifted up. Mm -hmm. Can we just make with our voices lifted up? Because when we're voices lifted up, the heavens do open. When we speak the truth of God, when we declare the word of God, when we're bold in the word of God, to the heavens do open. Angels are sent forth. Strongholds are broken. Hearts are gripped and grabbed. So can we sing it that way? You know, you can shout with a loud voice. But it'd actually not be a loud voice. You know that? You know, they, one of the disciples said to his, his friend, we find the Messiah. He's born in Nazareth. I think it was maybe Nathaniel that said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And the word back was just this. Come and see. It's not about the, the volume. It's about the power in the word. Come and see. Maybe we said that more often rather than arguing. I mean, that calm voice said, you know what? We need to taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is a man who puts his trust in him. I'm reminded of a great argument in Scripture where a man is born blind and Jesus heals him and the blind man is taken in front of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the, the, the religious officials and said, how'd you become, how'd you, how'd you become, uh, get, gain your sight back? And he said, well, Jesus did. And they said to him, we know this man cannot be from God. And they argued theologically on why he can't have done what he did. And just in a calm voice, this man says, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. But this one thing I know, I was once blind, and now I see. There's power in the word. It's not the volume. It's not stamping our feet. But it is being willing to speak. I have a beautiful memory of my grandson. He was three years old. We were visiting him. They live out in Arizona. He's 10 years old now. I was visiting him and three years old. He's laying on my chest with his head on my chest. 
And I'm just having one of those warm moments of a grandfather and a grandson. And he says to me, Grandpa, I love you. In a little soft voice, Grandpa, I love you. And I said to him, Noah, why do you love Grandpa? And he said, because you're just so exciting. <laughs> Those small, soft words, Grandpa, I love you, had more strength and more power and more volume than any of the greatest orator could say. Folks, quit looking at yourself as little. You're not grasshoppers. You're mighty men of God, women of God. You have a voice that can defeat the enemy. You have truth that can confound those who consider themselves wise. There is power behind your word because there is a God behind your word and he knows how to break addictions, mm -hmm. how to break through the halls of Congress. That's our God. And so, Lord, we stand before you with the wind of your spirit drawing us to the battlefield. <clears throat> Forgive us for our procrastination. Forgive us for belittling ourselves because you made us and you don't make junk. Forgive us, Lord, for not having the passion to push and speak. Forgive us. But now that the forgiving is over, Use us. Your blood washes away our sin. Thank you, Lord. But now that that's taken care of, use us. Use us in our city. Use us in our country. Use us in our family. We want to hear the voice of God. But we want to be the voice of God, too. So, Lord... We ask for your anointing on us to carry up on as we leave these doors. And Lord, may 2024, I don't know what it means for our country. I don't know what it means for our city. I don't know what it means for our world. But I want 2024 to mean something for me and you together doing something. God, no more laziness, no more procrastination. No more fear. Use us, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you, church. Thank you for having us. Go in the Lord, and Happy New Year to all of you, okay?